It is great to be back with you this week. We certainly had a great time uh, out in Louisiana last week. It was unseasonably hot. Uh, even the Louisiana people were not happy. So that gives you an idea of how hot it was. Uh, it was about 90 degrees the first couple of days we were there. And the day of the wedding, it was hot. And then we came home on Monday, and it was colder in Louisiana than it was in Anchorage. So go figure. I don't know. I don't know how to translate that. Uh, we are in the, the last bit, two weeks, of a five-week series we've been doing on the Holy Spirit. And I'm pretty excited about today's text that we'll be using. It'll be in uh, John chapter 16. And uh, today is actually going to be a great example of why we always encourage you to not only read along with us, whether it's what we have projected here, if you've got an app like I'm using today, or you brought your Bible with you this morning to, to read the text with us, but then also we encourage you to read around the text that we're using because context is so important. And I want to pull this one verse out to begin with and sort of uh, chat briefly about what it appears to say but then I want to put it in context, because the context makes it so different. And that's critical that we understand when we're reading God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us, because that's one of the things I think that we've already talked about, that the Holy Spirit confirms to us uh, the truth of God's Word and speaks to us, because uh, he, he dwells within us. In fact, I think that's in the text today. I can't remember. I read so much of this around here. I can't remember exactly this is in the text this morning, but it is in this context where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to send a helper, and that that helper is going to dwell within us, the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that. But first, I want us to look at uh, verse 1 Topic today, uh, you'll remember we had all of these centered around the, the letter C. This week's uh, C word is convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. Now, it is very possible that you come from a background, uh, might be similar to mine, although I don't think mine is, is as, as deep as some others have experienced, uh, particularly in. You know, our Southern Baptist upbringing, which, you know, we're still an affiliated Southern Baptist church. That's our, our doctrinal uh, lines run very uh, similar to that, and we partner with them for missions works and things like that. But within the Southern Baptist world, as well as something like in the independent Baptist world, you can find all sorts of different kind of flavors of Baptist churches from 
what some would consider to be very progressive to what some consider to be hyper-fundamentalist and everywhere in between. I don't really know where we are on that spectrum. Uh, we're, we're fundamental about theology. Uh, we're not really fundamental about a whole lot of other things that Baptists want to get real excited about. Um, but we love Jesus, and we're trying to present him as the gospel and the way to the world. We're trying to live our lives as faithfully to what he calls us to in the scripture as we possibly can. That's our mission. That's our goal. And so, this is a verse that could be used to really harm people. And even when I say the words, the Holy Spirit convicts, it's possible that there are people in this room, people listening to us online, who have an immediate defensive reaction to that. Because they've been in an environment where maybe not this verse was used, but this idea was used in a way that really created an unhealthy and unbiblical spiritual community, church community. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And then we're going to talk about what this is saying because, guys, it is so encouraging. And that's what kind of blows my mind sometimes is how something that's supposed to be so encouraging and life-giving to the believer can be used in a way that does the opposite. But this is not news. This is not new. It was happening in Jesus' time. He complained about it with religious leaders of the day. And it's been happening in religion ever since and probably before, right? So here's verse 8, talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I mean, that sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? And part of it is this idea of sin, convicting the world of sin, and of, and of righteousness and judgment. But there's a, a problem with if we take this, this text out of its context and use it in this way. Because you can see, I'm sure, by the language that's here, how easy it would be to take this verse and turn it into a stick. When he comes, he will convict the world. So let's think for just a moment about who the world is. Now this is an echo, and this is, there's a lot of this, by the way, in the book of John. This is an echo to John 3.16, right? For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that word world seems all encompassing, right? We, we talk about that. God so loved everyone, the whole world, everyone contained within it, everyone who, who is a member of the world. Jesus came to die for so that they could have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Because that's me. That's you. Those who will believe, right? Because that's what it says. For whosoever believes in him can have life that's eternal. That's my favorite verse in the Bible, by the way, because the whole gospel is right there. Right there. 
You know, we come here and we see the same word. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, if we go back to John 3.16 and we understand that Christ came to save the whole world, when, this is the question I want to pose to you, when someone believes, whosoever believes, when someone believes, are they still the world? I'm just going to let that lay there for just a moment because this is important to understanding the context of this verse. If he came to save the whole world so that whosoever believes would have eternal life and never perish, once you believe, are you now the world? Or are you something else? Behold, if anyone will be in Christ, they are what? A new creation. We are called to be in this world, but no longer what? Of this world. We are now aliens, the Bible says, and strangers in a foreign land. You see, when we receive Christ, when He bestows upon us the, the gift of salvation, the Bible says we were dead, and now we have passed from death into life. You see, my friends, the world is all of those who are dead in sin. And those are the ones whom God has come to save in the person of Jesus Christ. And at one time, those of us who are believers, those who are followers of Christ, who have been raised, we were dead. This is why Ephesians tells us that there's no amount of working we can do to secure our salvation or even to purchase it. Not even to keep, to hold on to it, but to get it in the first place. It's a gift that God gives. Why does He give it? Because dead things can't do things on their own. They need someone else to do something for them. Lazarus could not raise himself from the dead. Jesus had to call him forth. The sick girl, Jairus' daughter, she could not raise herself from the dead, and neither could her parents through their own power. But Jesus could walk in and speak the words of life, and she could come alive. See, the world here, you could, you could interchange the word dead for world. And those who believe, who claim that gift, and who God speaks to and raises from their spiritual deadness, they are no longer, you, my friends, are no longer the world. This is why we are commanded to not live as the world lives, because we are not of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. We are of the kingdom of life, not the kingdom of death. So when we go back to this passage in John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's another problem with the way this is structured and why you must read it in context. Because then if we take that same, same line of thinking and bring it over here, we go, oh, okay, so the world is dead. When he comes, he will convict the world. That's 
those who are outside of Christ, again, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, well, that sounds okay. The problem is, in a religious sense, often this kind of verse gets used within the church to say that God is still convicting you, believer, of sin. I'm not going to call her out, but there's a good friend in this congregation who helped me see some truth about this a number of years ago, about this Sometimes this, this idea that we as believers must continually confess our sins to God. The Bible does not teach that, my friends. It teaches that we should confess our sins to one another. Now, why do we do that? Not because we should vomit our sins all over everyone else, but really what he's meaning is, is Joe, if I hurt you, I should, I should come and confess to you and say, I'm sorry. I wounded you. Would you forgive me? And that we have that dynamic together to share our sins and our burdens with one another so that we can, we can then live and minister and, and enjoy the life of Christ together unhindered without things between us. Not only that, but it gives us a, a great amount of joy. The, the, the forgiver can experience a great amount of joy in giving forgiveness, and the one being forgiven can experience a great amount of joy in being forgiven. But this kind of verse can be used to really just put a lot of guilt on people who used to be dead but are now alive in Christ and who Christ has said, listen, I, this is the reason for grace. I understand you're not going to get it right all the time. Uh, when you mess it up, get up and, and, and go and get back into righteousness. Move forward. If, if you have hurt someone else or, or committed sin that... that that wounds someone else or is against someone else, go and make it right. We see that all over the scripture. Don't come to the don't come to the communion table with something between you and your brother. Don't bring your gift offering of prayer before the Lord when you know that there's a brother or sister who has a problem with you. So, in context, what is this verse talking about? Well, let's see. So we're going to back up to that first verse that I had for you here, Jason. Verse 4, chapter 16, verse 3. This is right after he has said, uh, a whole lot of stuff about how the world is going to hate the disciples, is going to hate people who call the name of Christ, um, they're going to be persecuted, and that they should take that as a badge of honor to some degree, because that means they're persecuting him. Um, he talks about how he is uh, the vine to which they will be grafted in, they've been grafted into, but he is the only one who gives life, and if they're expecting life from any other place, they're looking in the wrong location, so keep your eyes on Jesus. And then he gets to the work of the Holy Spirit, and he says this, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, when these things come to pass, when you're persecuted, when people hate you, when it's difficult, when when you're struggling with where your source of life comes from, when these things happen, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, why would he say that? Why would he want them to remember this, that he told them this before? Because he knows in just a matter of hours and days, the entire world that they've constructed in their minds of what the kingdom of God looks like and what relationship with Christ looks like and his mission on the earth is going to get completely turned upside down on its head. 
Because even though they've been with him for all this time, we see it evidenced again in the scriptural stories. We see that they don't fully understand his purpose. And they still think, they and many others, that Jesus has come to be a political revolutionary to rescue them from the boot of the Roman government. And that is not his mission. His mission is to come and rescue us from the boot of sin and Satan and eternal separation from God. And to do that, he's going he's to do the most sacrificial thing anyone can do. And it's not going to topple a government. He's going to give his own life without saying a word, without resisting, laying himself down freely as the sacrifice for the sins of man. And when that happens, those 12 disciples, soon to be 11, their worlds will shatter. Because nothing they thought was going to happen has happened. In fact, now it looks like it's all been just a big lie. But he's giving them these things ahead of time to say, now when the, when the hard times come, after the, look, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to go, but when the hard time comes, you'll remember that I told you these things. Friends, that's a word for us today. When the hard times come, we have, we have this incredible gift of the Word of God that we can look back to and see that he talked about. Listen, people are going to are gonna get in your face about the fact that you follow me. People are going to be offended by the things that you believe that are biblical. People are going to be put off by your desire to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, and they're going to want to reject it, and sometimes they're going to want to reject you. We can take comfort in knowing that he told us these things would happen. So we take comfort in it, but it also proves that he is who he said he was. really be the one who said he was. Remember that I told these things to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So we get the idea that as Jesus, this is in process, as Jesus is saying all of these things that have come you know, I have a red letter, you probably can't see it, but there's chapter after chapter after chapter of Jesus talking to his disciples here, speaking these things. And, and as he's talking, he's watching their faces and their body language and their demeanor going, ooh, this doesn't sound so great. Is this what I signed up for? Is this what it's supposed to be? Because he says, I have said these things to you and sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we talked about this, I think, in the first of this series. The Holy Spirit being described as a Helper. When he comes alongside us, and he's with us persistently. And this is why Jesus says, trust me, this is a good thing. Because here, 
you know, just as in this room, if we, we were having some conversations before church, I could go from person to person to person, but I can't have that conversation with all of you at the same time, and I can't do that all the time. I mean, we're going to leave here, and, and you're going to go home, and I'm going to go home. And, but the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He's going to be with every one of you and in every one of you all the time. Think of this progression from the beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, there's God who walks with them in the cool of the day, right? Sin happens and that relationship is broken. And for generations, thousands of years, God's presence is really only in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. You see some other flashes of it with Moses on the top of the mountain, with Jacob wrestling in the desert with uh, Noah hearing the voice of God from the heavens. But his primary presence, and he decreed it this way, is in the Holy of Holies, where only the priest goes and experiences the presence of God on behalf of the people. And then we see the advent of Jesus. And Jesus comes, and it's God in the flesh. God among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And yes, he was with us as a humanity, as a people. But he's clothed himself in human form, and he doesn't exist in all places at all times as Jesus in human form. But he's more accessible because he's, he's speaking to the people. He's teaching. He's touching people. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's giving the truths of God in a way that's never been given one-on-one to humanity. And then we see this progression to the work and place of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, trust me, this is going to be even better. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And here, verse 9, is where context is so critical. Because now he fleshes out those three things, sin, Righteousness and judgment. Because the way the language exists in, in verse 8, if we just pulled out that out, it says, oh, all three of these things apply to the world. Which either means they're used in a bad way in church as a stick to beat religious people, or it's used in a bad way to only direct it at dead people, lost people. And it is neither of those things. Wait, watch here it is. Verse 9, concerning sin, number one, because they do not believe in me. Who is they? The dead, right? They don't believe in me. And that, the language there is they don't yet believe in me or they actively resist me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and who? You will no longer see me. Are the disciples the world? I don't think so. Now, we could really chase a really weird theological rabbit trail right there about salvation and the gospel. But they believe, right? They are literally the 
the first followers of Jesus. So to the world, the Holy Spirit will come as the convictor of sin. To you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, He will come as the convictor of righteousness. I really struggled with this language earlier. He will convict, uh, let's make it personal, you can do it with your tongue, and He will convict me of righteousness. That means he's mad at me when I'm unrighteous. Is he mad at me when I'm not doing the right thing? Is he upset with me when I'm not getting it right? That seems to work against the idea of grace, and it's either it's grace all the time or it's not grace, it's works. He will remind you of your righteousness. The righteousness I don't deserve. A righteousness I cannot manufacture on my own. A righteousness whose, whose measure I cannot reach out of my own abilities, but a righteousness that He has imparted to me with His sacrifice and resurrection and His call to my belief. He no longer looks at you, my friends, as unrighteous as a believer. He said it at the very beginning. If anyone will be in Christ, they are a new creation. They become the begotten sons and daughters of God. They become like Jesus. You say, you say but wait, 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 wait. People still mess up. People still sin. People make mistakes even after they become a Christian. I'm like, yes, grace. Why do we, why are we afraid of grace? Why do we not want to embrace the grace that God has given us? It was purchased with the blood of Christ. And he says to us, I get it. You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect in this world. I know. Grace. Now move along. Follow me. You'll mess it up again tomorrow. And guess what? Grace will still be grace. Get up and move along. He will convict world concerning sin because they do not believe me. He will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world was judged. And this was a promise. This was a, this was a call to not lose faith. Because Jesus had also demonstrated that there was a battle going on, a war that was beyond the physical realm of a battle with spiritual forces. They'd seen it with their eyes and that veil would be torn back and they would see the spiritual struggle of Satan against the will of God 
sometimes manifested in the flesh and they saw the works and the miracles of Jesus. And sometimes it can feel like, man, I don't know if this is true for you in the world today, sometimes it is difficult to hang on to the hope. Because it seems like sometimes the enemy is winning. He's certainly active. I don't know what else to say. But we come back to a promise like this. What is he saying? Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, the enemy, is already judged. It's not that he will be judged, he's going to be judged, there's going to be a trial somewhere, we're going to weigh the evidence, and eh, it could go either way. It's done. He already sits under judgment, and now it is just the working of time until all of the truth and all of the prophecy and all of the will of God comes to fruition and is perfected. And this is something difficult for me to hang on to sometimes is that the will of God will not be thwarted. He is sovereign. And it will come to pass. And it's difficult for me sometimes to hang on to that when I wrestle with cares of the world, the cares of my own life. I try to remember how, in some ways, small that is in the big scheme of things, but it's big to me in my little world. But it calls me to be reminded of who is my faith based on? Who do I really trust? What do I believe about God? find myself coming back to places like this. And even on days when it seems like the enemy is getting his best looks in, his judgment has already been passed. It's just a matter of time. So to close this up this morning, I want to leave you with this encouragement. God is still at work in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is still today speaking into hearts of those who are dead and calling them to life, convicting them of sin. Look for the opportunity to be the voice that shares the gospel. Look for the opportunity that, that, to be the hands that share the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit within you may use you his work. Don't be discouraged. Well, that's a tough, that's a tough one. I'm going to say it anyway because I'm going to speak truth to myself. Don't be discouraged when it seems like hope is lost. Because the Holy Spirit is still at work and the enemy is still judged and God will
Seek to be holy. Seek to be good. Nothing wrong with that. Seek to live righteously. The Bible tells us to do so. Like we say here often, uh, grace is not opposed to your effort. It's there, but it doesn't mind if you contribute to being good. It's, it's a good thing. Just be aware that your salvation and your security and the work of the Holy Spirit His presence with you is fully dependent on God's good grace that you and I didn't deserve, but He gives it to us anyway. And your good works don't bind you anything. They're a response. They're a natural, from the inside out, response to this great love you have. So maybe we could say that even in a different way. Respond to God's grace by loving Him in every way that you can think of. And it always comes back to those two things, right? Love God, love people. Start there. Everything else comes out of that. Be encouraged that His righteousness is full. We're going to sing a couple more songs together this morning. Let me pray for us as the band uh, joins me back up here. And I hope you've been encouraged by God's Word this morning. I have. I was so grateful, so thankful for the word that he's given us. Father, we praise you for the gift of your word. And Lord, I'm humbled by the opportunity to speak about it. I pray that I have been faithful in it and honored you. Correction, wisdom, comfort. Lord, I thank you for everyone who has been in this place today, joined us online. I pray that you'll be with them in their lives. Lord, that they will seek you in whatever ways that they are in need of you. Lord, I have faith that they will find you. Thank you again for loving us. Thank you again for saving us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, my friends. So great to have you here today.